Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today's episode was recorded at the 2019 PASA PSBA School Leadership Conference, where Dr. Amy Cuddy presented the closing keynote. Dr. Cuddy is a social psychologist, best-selling author, Harvard lecturer, and presenter of the second most viewed TED Talk, Your Body Language May Shape Who You Are. She has dedicated her career to studying the impact we can have on our own thoughts, feelings, and performance, the power of prejudice and stereotyping, and the influence of nonverbal behavior. Welcome, Dr. Cuddy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be in my home state. Oh, great. Well, welcome. In a school setting, school leaders, teachers, and students are interacting verbally and nonverbally every day. How can nonverbal communication be used positively for these various participants in the public education space? It's funny when people think about body language and nonverbal communication. I think the the first question people want to know is, is that person lying to me? Which I think is it tells us something about our own human nature. I think it's strange that that's what we first want to know. Mm-hmm. That's not what I am interested in studying. Um, and the answer to that is it's very hard. But, okay. <laughs> uh, but what I think is interesting is to understand how to, um, how to not only understand what we're communicating to other people, but what they're communicating to us, and to be focused on the extent to which that relationship is working or not working. So is there trust there or is there not trust there? Mm-hmm. So let me just speak to this, the teacher-student relationship first. You know, kids can be sort of dramatic in their nonverbals if they want to show that they're not interested, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of what I would call nonverbal noise going on in a classroom. Okay. Uh, but what really matters, and so, it, to some extent, teachers have to not be thrown off too much by that, and I know they learn not to not to be thrown off by the kid who's not paying attention. Sure. Um, but to pay attention to the extent to which the kids feel sort of engaged and safe versus you know disengaged and maybe threatened, um, and I don't mean by the teacher, mm-hmm. but maybe by some other dynamic that's happening in the classroom. So what you want to be paying attention to is body language that is very closed. So kids will sort of, you know, wrap themselves up, wrap their arms around their torsos or be touching their necks or their faces, playing with their hair, um, you know, really slouched over, looking self-protective mm-hmm. versus, you know, looking open, you know, shoulders back and down, arms not wrapped around the torso, maybe leaning forward. That dimension is not just telling you how kind of strong and safe they feel, Mm -hmm. but it's also telling you something else. Closed body language is not just linked to powerlessness, it's also linked to shame. Mm. And I think that kids feel a lot of shame. I mean, shame is one of the most self-destructive emotions, Mm. uh, and it's certainly the emotion that bullies try to bring out in other people. I really, as a parent, try to pay attention to that in my son. He's now a senior in high school, and I think he's very body language self-aware. Mm-hmm. But when he was in like middle school and first on, you know, first had a phone and might have been on like social media or something, just like wading into social media, I used to really try to pay attention to the times when he would kind of collapse, when his body language would collapse. And I would sure. say, 
what just happened? And almost always something had happened on social media that made him feel bad. Okay. You know, some social thing had happened. And we'd say, put the phone down, let's go for a walk, let's get away from that. So those changes in the extent to which kids feel sort of comfortable mm -hmm. versus powerless and ashamed, that's, I think, a very important thing for teachers to be tuned into. Okay. Because when you're feeling powerless and ashamed, you can't focus on anything but that. It's obviously just harmful to the person, but mm -hmm. you're certainly not going to be able to be engaged in learning. Absolutely. You, know, you become very sort of myopic. So I think it's, you know, we probably focus a lot on whether the kids are interested or not. And right. that matters. But I think what matters more is do they feel trusting and safe hmm. or not? Uh, so that's a dynamic that I think that, that um, it's useful for teachers to pick up on. And then, you know, as a teacher, it's really helpful to know that you're not just trying to command the classroom. You don't just, you know, you don't just need to go in there and show strength and show that you're the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. You do need to build trust with them. Mm -hmm. And that comes through not just in your words and sharing, you know, something about yourself that makes you human, but also in your body language. Okay. Body language that is open and literally like palms up mm -hmm. versus hands in the pockets. That shows something very different to kids. Hands mm -hmm. in the pockets feels distant. Yeah. Um, or arms crossed, it looks stern, but it does not make the, the, the students feel like you understand them right. or you want to be there. So sure. focusing on that, not just the looking strong, but also showing that you are are interested yeah. and, um, and open, and open to them. Yeah. Right, exactly. I think that's really important. Yeah. I think this, the same things apply to interactions among adults. Of you know, course. And I know that, that you know, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, interactions among, among adults in school settings can be um, filled with sort of disagreement mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's, it's difficult. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of negotiating going on all the time. Uh, and again, to keep in mind that the way that you connect with people is not to go in and show them you're the strongest person in the room. Mm -hmm. That matters to be strong, but what matters first is to build trust. So again, to be paying attention to those nonverbals that are indicating that you want to be there, that you can hear them, mm -hmm. that you have heard them, and that body language is open. You know, I, it's, it's not that I'm saying always have your hands out and palms up, but mm -hmm. I think that idea Yeah. Is, um, is, is really what you want to be working with. And also paying attention. If you're talking to someone and they start to pull away and you know, cross their arms and, and turn away from mm -hmm. you, even subtle things like that tells you something just, some trust was just broken. Mm -hmm. Somehow something they feel threatened, there. something shifted. Mm -hmm. What shifted? Yeah. Take the time to get it back on track. Don't just keep like pushing forward. If something shifted, figure out what it is. Ask mm -hmm. them, just say, how are you feeling about where we are right now? You know, yeah. is, is there something that I'm missing what you're trying to tell me? Words like that. But that's all, you know, something that you pick up through your body language. And really what you're describing applies to educators and teachers, school leaders with teachers and staff. Absolutely. I mean, it's really applicable across the board. For sure. I mean, I, and that's, you know, I, I, I used to teach negotiation okay. um, to, to MBA, to business school students. Sure. And they have a very often zero-sum zero attitude about this, mm -hmm. like they want to win. Mm -hmm. And you know, first it's to remind them, and I think this is true for all of us, 
no negotiation is a one-off. Mm -hmm. right? It's not like you will negotiate and somebody wins and somebody loses and then you never have to deal with that person mm -hmm. again. It, you know, there are all kinds of other things happening, like your reputation, sure. your ability to connect with people who are allies to that person. But just even to not see that person as your adversary, right. but, but as someone that you might be able to create value with. Right. right, you can enlarge the pie. It's not a fixed pie, yeah. and find solutions that actually, in some way, satisfy both parties. But we use this very dominant body language in those situations, mm -hmm. and it basically breaks people's ability to connect with each other. And that aspect of what you just described with negotiating, I would think for our school leader audience, the school board members, as they're having these conversations with differing opinions about issues that they're making decisions for, that could really be something for them to consider and think about. Absolutely. In how to have those conversations. That's exactly what And I'm be thinking. effective. You know, it's you contentious know. and people mm -hmm. feel strongly. You know, this is, it's funny, in a business setting, people might feel strongly, but they might be also motivated by sort of an external, external reward right. that, that isn't so much connected to who they feel they are as a person. Sure. In school settings, like people deeply care about these things. Absolutely. And they are, they are um, reflections of their values and what they want, not for themselves, but obviously for their kids for, and for the kids in their community. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, they're very emotionally attached to their positions and it yeah. makes it even harder for people to listen to each other, but it's just the only way forward. So pay attention to body language that's not about strength, but that is about connection. Interesting. Going off of that, sometimes we're unaware of our own nonverbal communication and certainly unaware of what the nonverbal communication around us might mean. In a school setting, how can that unawareness be detrimental? Uh, and I'll, I'll talk again first about sort of the teacher-student relationship. Okay. Um, you know, what I really study, when it comes down to it, if you sort of had to, to encapsulate all of it, is how do people um, manage themselves in their biggest challenges, in the, the situations that they find the most threatening, where they feel that they're being socially judged mm -hmm. or evaluated, and where they feel the stakes are really high. A lot of kids feel like that all the time in school. You know, pressure to do well, I think is in some ways higher than it's ever been. You know, getting into college is hard. Mm. You know, I feel like there are so many parents go, I wouldn't have even gotten into college today. Like it's, right. so, it's so difficult. And so remember that an interaction with a teacher uh, for a student might feel like their biggest challenge. I mean, they're really worried about how they're being socially evaluated sure. by the teacher. The stakes feel incredibly high to them. Mm -hmm. And so when they go in maybe to talk to a teacher, say look, we're talking about a one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. meeting, um, remember that the, the, you know, if, you, if you're sitting there, I know you've got a hundred students that you have to, to, to work with and, mm -hmm. and you know, teaching plans to prepare and a million things going on, you've got your home life and things going through your head. Just remember that the person who's lower power in an interaction is the one who's more attuned to the body language of the other because they're looking for whatever information they can get to figure out where they stand uh, in that person's eyes. Mm -hmm. So if, if you go in to interact with a teacher and the teacher's, again, turned away from you or um, hands and pockets are distracted by something else, it's going to be really hard for that student 
to feel comfortable enough to be present with you. If you're not present with them non-verbally, if you're not showing that you're interested in there, they can't be present with you. And so I think, uh, you know, paying attention to your own, um, the, the, the cues that you're, that you're signaling is really important. And I would say again, that body language that indicates shame, mm -hmm. we should be looking for in schools. I mean, that, that tells us so much about a child's um, mental state in that moment, mm. but, but about what else might be going on in their sure. lives. And, you know, we often talk about the kids sitting alone in the cafeteria. Right. Although it's funny, my son says it's no longer about that. It's like social oh. groups occur in other places, like online, right? Uh, so yes. it's not like you have your lunch table yeah. in the way that it was when I was a kid. Yeah. Rather than sort of paying attention to who's sitting alone. Yes. When you look at a group of kids, look at, the, look at the body language in that group. It tells you a lot about the hierarchy mm -hmm. in that group. And you're probably gonna see a continuum where someone is the most expansive and mm -hmm. open and someone is the most contractive and closed. And just tune into those dynamics. Um, you know, we want kids to feel comfortable and safe coming to school. Absolutely. And safe emotionally. Yes. Uh, I'm not even talking about the, these, these even more dire, bigger issues that we're right. talking about right now. But, right. but, you know, if there is a kid that you notice is often using body language that looks powerless and ashamed, mm -hmm. that might be a time to, to you know, intervene. In mm -hmm. a, not in a dramatic way, but just to, to maybe spend a little bit more time with that student and figure out, you know, what's, what's going on. Mm -hmm. How Try can I be helpful? A Try to there. connect with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That sounds like good, applicable, you know, sort of ongoing awareness that needs to be happening. Right. So if nonverbals govern how we feel, is there a practice that could be incorporated into the schools that would help students become engaged and, and more prepared to learn? So the talk I gave in 2012, the mm -hmm. TED Talk, that you referred to was about uh, using sort of powerful body language before we walk into stressful situations like okay. tests and how powerful that makes us feel. And when we feel psychologically powerful, it affects the way we think and, and you know, we think more clearly, we feel, um, we feel more optimistic, we, um, we behave differently, uh, we do better on tests, right. we perform better because we're less anxious. Sure. That's, you know, that's one aspect of it, but I think what some teachers have figured out ways to use that in the classroom. So mm -hmm. this term power posing is this term that I coined in that talk. Okay. And, you know, kids sort of standing with their hands on their hips and their feet apart like a superhero. And, and when we see that when, when people do that before a stressful situation, they perform better in mm -hmm. that situation, not in front of other people in a private space. It's for themselves. It's for themselves. Mm -hmm. So it changes your own. Basically, when we feel powerful, we expand. Mm -hmm. But when we expand, it causes us to feel powerful. Sure. So it's reverse engineering the relationship between an emotion mm -hmm. and a nonverbal gesture. Uh, you know, emotions don't ju just get expressed on the face, and expression on the face can cause us to feel an emotion. Mm -hmm. So that's a it, does, it doesn't apply just to feeling powerful, it applies to feeling happy or sad or angry or so many other things. The issue, I think, with how it gets implemented in schools, and I hear from teachers probably multiple times every day, is 
And some people, you know, a lot of teachers have figured out ways to get kids to power pose together before stressful tests, and they swear that it's working. Mm-hmm. And it might. I don't have data from children on whether it works. It may well work, but here's my concern about thinking about how to implement this idea. When you're expanding in front of other people, you are basically being dominant in front of other people. So if the kids who don't feel dominant are now having to stand like this in front of other people, I don't think you're getting the same benefits that you're getting when they're alone and they know they're not being watched Mm -hmm. or judged and they can just be themselves. In front of those other kids, all those social dynamics come up. So I heard, I'm not saying it can't work. Where I see it work is on sports teams, for example. So there was a, a, a sort of wave of people I was hearing from volleyball coaches, mm. girls volleyball coaches, who were using it before games, and it was really working. But remember that those girls are on the team together, and sure. they're working toward a shared goal. And so they want, they want everyone to feel powerful in that situation. Right. Say you have kids do it before a test in front of each other, that's a different situation. They might yeah. feel like they're competing with each other. So a, a third grade teacher I heard from said, I had been having my kids stand in a circle, uh, facing inward in this powerful posture, mm-hmm. in a superhero pose. And I, I realized that that wasn't working, so I actually now have them stand in the circle facing outward so uh, they can't see each okay. other. Yeah. And I thought that was a really clever idea. Again, empirically, I don't know for sure that it works. A lot of teachers swear that it does. But it's just to be mindful that how that you certainly, I certainly think we should be teaching kids Mm -hmm. that how they carry themselves affects how they perform, how they feel. It makes, it can make their lives easier Mm -hmm. to carry themselves in a self-respecting way. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't just have to be an expansive posture. The effect of simply sitting up straight, many studies have shown, mm-hmm. sitting up straight changes the way we feel. Mm-hmm. It makes us feel happier. It makes us um, remember more positive things about ourselves. It has all kinds of effects on mood. And so I think we used to teach our kids, you know, sit up straight as a way of showing respect to others that sitting up straight is a way of showing respect to yourself, right? So to focus on just simple things like that, mm-hmm. um, teaching kids just simple breathing is, I mean, that's that's nonverbal. And we yeah. know that deep, slow breathing triggers what we call the relaxation response. It, it, it makes us feel calm and confident. And that's not as showy, right? So they can do that in front of each other and not, not feel so self-conscious right. about it. But I would, you know, I, I know that there's, sort of schools that are doing some mindfulness training, and mm-hmm. I think that's great. But I think mindfulness training should always incorporate a physical aspect. You know, a lot of kids are not, mm. a lot of humans are not good at just sitting still and learning to be, to meditate yeah. or to be mindful in that sense. So to keep in mind that mindfulness is also about being thoughtful about how we carry ourselves. Sure. If you're slouched over your phone all day, um, not only is that bad for your posture, right. which it is. I mean, right. now you're hearing from physical therapists who are treating 15-year-olds yeah. with the problems that they used to see only in older women. Um, they call it the dowager's hump, mm-hmm. that fixed thoracic stoop. But, but that's also affecting how kids feel to be slouched over that much. So I think that there are a lot of ways that we can teach them, even simple things like sitting up straight in mm-hmm. a different way, with a different focus. 
Instead, it's not about you being respectful to me, it's about you respecting yourself. I think that's the um, part that might be not as well understood. I think for a long time, a lot of people know that, yes, body language, it shows other people something about you. That's right. But what you're really describing is that consciously choosing to be in a certain body posture can actually then be inward turned and, and change how you're feeling internally. I think that's the key really salient point. That absolutely is the key. So, but I mean, the, and, and it's partly because we call it body language yeah. and, and or nonverbal communication. And when we think of language and communication, mm -hmm. we think of an interaction between people, not within a single person. Right. The, the, and, and what I, you know, what I say is your body language is not just speaking to others, it's speaking to you. It's, so the mind-body connection moves in both directions. Mm -hmm. The body is, it's not just, you know, when we think of mind-body, we think about like, well, if you, you know, if you're feeling really sad, it might be bad for your physical health. Right. What I get people to focus on is that physically, the way you are carrying yourself is, is giving information to your brain right. about whether you are basically in a safe situation where you can be yourself where you can feel confident and comfortable, or whether you're in a threatening, scary situation. Mm -hmm. So we're all, we are animals. Mm -hmm. And just as you know, animals show how they feel through this expansive and contractive body language, so do we. Mm -hmm. But we, that, that primitive wiring uh, is, is always activated. So when you're carrying yourself as if you're powerless, your body is saying to your mind, I am powerless. Right. I am not confident. I don't deserve to be here. I should feel ashamed. And that obviously really affects our mental state. Yeah, kind of a cycle. That's right. Around. So I think understanding that the body is shaping the mind. It's mm -hmm. not just speaking to others. Social emotional learning or SEL is a prevalent topic, obviously, in education. Uh, do you think being aware of nonverbal communication could aid in the SEL process and improve an individual's self-awareness and self-control and some of this you've touched on already yeah I think I think you know exactly what I what I was what I was just saying about about the the influence of the body on on the mind and let me give you just an example that's that's from you know, outside of the the the, the classroom mm -hmm. where we really see these huge benefits treating combat veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder and this is a difficult thing to treat for mm -hmm. a number of reasons. PTSD is complicated um, for everyone. But if you take combat veterans, a lot of them are men, right? They, they feel, they're, and men are less open to talk therapy than women already. Mm -hmm. um, they also feel that their bodies betrayed them. So their PTSD is very embodied, right? They really start to show powerless body language. There's some great studies working with combat veterans with PTSD, showing that teaching them just sort of things like deep breathing and expansive yoga postures has dramatic effects on reducing PTSD symptoms. Hmm. So it's so sort of social emotional learning and self-regulation and, and um, you know developing resiliency and these these constructs. Again, it's very much about being aware of your own emotional state. We're not good at naming our emotions, but sometimes, you know, when I tell people sort of take an audit of your body language right now, they go, oh, wow, I'm really tense. I'm, I am pulling my shoulders mm -hmm. up or I'm breathing shallowly or why am I, you know, why, are, why am I crossing my legs and twisting my ankles? Mm -hmm. um, those things that we're doing with our body unconsciously 
if we start to tune into them, they give us cues about how we feel, which I think is pretty interesting. So mm -hmm. we want kids to understand their emotions, right? To understand how am I feeling uh, and how is that going to cause me to behave if I don't think this through, right? How can I regulate that? But if they can't even figure out exactly how they're feeling, that's pretty tough. So I think tuning into your body language helps you to understand how you are feeling. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you don't mind, back to my son, yeah. um, when I started to point out that when something on social media made him feel bad, he really collapsed, he became much more aware of his own body language. So now, he, when he feels himself collapse, he goes, oh, it's time to get away from the screen. Mm -hmm. So he now knows on his own to get up and walk away. Something's making him frustrated, something's making him feel bad, it's time to take a walk. Um, probably not time to send an angry email. Right. Or, right, or keep interact. Well, actually, right. kids don't even send email. They're like, what's email? Yeah, you know, so text, they barely, they barally Snapchat. text a Snapchat now. <laughs> like, so, so if he notices himself collapse, sort of physically, it's probably not a good time for him to respond. Right. And I think that's, that, that is something that we're, we're really kind of missing out on that aspect when we teach social emotional learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just a big advocate of getting people moving, right? Getting kids moving more instead of having them sit there and learn that way. Mm -hmm. How can we involve um, physicality right. in their understanding of lots of different things? Great point. Your research has heavily focused on prejudice and stereotyping. How could social science be incorporated into creating more equitable public education? And I, I want to start by acknowledging, and th this is the area that I've been studying the longest for 20 right. years, that this is obviously a big challenge. Yes. We are making progress, but you, know, you constantly see debates in the media about whether diversity training is working or not working. Mm -hmm. and, and let me just say, rest assured, there are really wonderful, thoughtful, smart people studying this stuff and trying to develop interventions that work, but it's tough. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't have an easy answer, um, but let me, let me, well, there's one thing that I do think I'd like us to focus on more than we are. And that is um, when, we, when we talk about gender stereotyping, when people say gender stereotypes, they, they think that they immediately go to stereotypes of girls and women. Okay. And that's important. I mean, it's incredibly important, right? So girls and women are stereotyped as, as, less smart, as less strong, and they're, they're expected to be more compassionate. They're expected to be nicer, maybe a little bit less assertive. We all want to say, oh no, I don't endorse that stereotype, but those stereotypes are unconscious. They're just there. At the same time, we forget that gender stereotypes mean we also have stereotypes of, of you know, the, the, the sort of whole continuum of gender, and, and we have stereotypes of boys that limit boys. And that hurts all of us. So we stereotype boys and men as strong and as, you know, as assertive. And we don't expect them to be as compassionate and generous. And in fact, when boys are especially compassionate and generous, they sometimes experience backlash for behaving that way. So I think that just as we need to allow our daughters to take up 
their fair share of space to, mm -hmm. to, to expand more than they are. We need to also allow our sons to be able to be compassionate and generous, mm -hmm. right? To, to not limit them to, you know, half of the spectrum of human behavior. Right. right? When, when we allow our boys to be more generous and compassionate, that obviously benefits all of us, just sure. as allowing our daughters to feel more powerful benefits all of us. Sure. You have a book coming up that you're working on, Bullies, Bystanders, and Brave Hearts, correct? Yeah. And when will that be released? That one won't be released until 2021. Okay. Well, we'll look, we will look forward to that. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast episode. I think this was all such helpful information for the education space, but really just for life. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much for having me. This podcast is produced by the Pennsylvania School Boards Association and was sponsored in part by sponsors Keystone Purchasing Network and NJM Insurance Group. Listeners, I'll encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more on today's discussion and for past episodes covering a wide range of education-specific topics. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.